You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host, once again, is the legendary Cindy Johnson, <laughs> volunteer for Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses and copy editor for the U.S. Lighthouse Society. Hi, Cindy. Hi, Jeremy. Today is July 23rd, 2022, and this is episode 183 of Lighthearted. In a few minutes, we'll hear an interview I did during my recent trip to Michigan with Pat Williams and Eric Klein of 40 Mile Point Light Station. First, has anything interesting happened on this date in Lighthouse history, Cindy? Yes, something very important happened on July 23rd, 1715. On that date, the General Court of Massachusetts passed the Boston Light Bill, the first act passed by any legislative body in North America for the building of a lighthouse. The Boston Light Bill read in part, whereas the want of a lighthouse erected at the entrance to the harbor of Boston hath been a great discouragement to navigation by the loss of the lives and estates of several of his majesty's subjects, for prevention thereof, be it enacted, that there be a lighthouse erected on Beacon Island to be kept lighted from sunsetting to sunrising. A stone tower about 50 feet tall was built. The first keeper, 43-year-old George Worthylake, lighted the lighthouse on Friday, September 14, 1716. Boston Light Station celebrated its 300th anniversary in 2016, and it's the only lighthouse in the country that still has an official keeper employed by the federal government. The keeper today is Sally Snowman, the first female keeper in the station's history. So, Cindy, please help me tell everyone about 40 Mile Point Lighthouse and today's guests. Sure, Jeremy. In 1890, the Lighthouse Board recommended a lighthouse at 40 Mile Point on the northeast coast of Michigan's Lower Peninsula. The primary reason for the light was so that as mariners traveled along the western part of Lake Huron between Mackinac Point and the St. Clair River, they would never be out of viewing range of a lighthouse. The name of 40 Mile Point stems from the fact that its location is 40 miles southeast of Mackinac Point. The light station began service in 1897 with a square tower centered on the lake-facing side of a duplex keeper's house. The lighthouse originally had a fourth-order Fresnel lens showing a three-second white flash every six seconds. There was also a brick fog signal house with a steam-operated fog whistle. The station had a principal keeper and an assistant in order to maintain the light and fog signal. The fog signal was in operation for about 225 hours per year and consumed about seven tons of coal. The station was automated and de-staffed in 1969. Two years later, the property was deeded to Presque Isle County, except for the lighthouse building itself. Finally, in 1998, the lighthouse was transferred to the county. Since then, the county and the 40 Mile Point Lighthouse Society have been working to restore the entire site. The park is open year-round to the public. One apartment in the lighthouse is occupied by a full-time caretaker. The other apartment is now a nautical museum staffed by 40 Mile Point Lighthouse Society volunteers. Also, visitors taking part in a guest keepers program stay in an RV campground near the lighthouse and serve as docents, helping with tours and in the gift shop. Pat Williams is the vice president of the 40 Mile Point Lighthouse Society, and Eric Klein is the resident caretaker at the light station. I had the pleasure of speaking with both of them when I was there uh, in Michigan recently, so let's listen to that conversation now.
I am here at the 40 Mile Point Lighthouse Light Station in Michigan. And with me here are Pat Williams, who is the Vice President of the 40 Mile Point Lighthouse Society, and also Eric Klein, who's a live-in caretaker here. And I would say he is the keeper. He's certainly the 21st century keeper uh, of this place. And uh, we're gonna definitely talk about that. But let me just start with Pat. Pat, how did you get involved with the, the Lighthouse Society here? Well, my wife, uh, her parents bought some land right next door uh, back in the 60s. And so when they were growing up, they were here every summer. They'd come over to the Lighthouse and play. And of course, it was all boarded up at the time. Uh, it was after the Coast Guard had closed it up and left, automated the light. But they came over all the time, so it got to be a regular area. And uh, when we moved back from Alaska, we moved into that cottage that they had built and renovated it into a house. And so it was just a natural, we just kept coming over here and the society was here. So we joined the society and mm-hmm. the more work we did with the society, pretty soon it's like anything else. It's like, oh, you need to become the treasurer. You need yeah. to become the vice president. Yeah, so that's what it's, happens. Uh, yeah, you keep getting bucked up the line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's so, a good thing, right? Yeah, yeah. It's pretty keeps us out of trouble. And yeah, keeps us busy. And we got a beautiful place here. I think it would be a lot of fun to to spend time here. And uh, speaking of that, you've been here how many years, Eric? Well, I grew up here, so mm-hmm. we moved in in May of 1984. My dad was the caretaker, so I lived here for eight years, and then uh, my wife made me move out and get married. <laughs> so. Um, my mom ended up staying for 16 years altogether, and then she remarried after dad passed away, and uh, they they left. So about five years, uh, six years ago, I moved back to the area, moved away, and uh, joined the society. I had a love for the place, liked to help out, and uh, when the last caretaker decided to move on, we put our hat in the ring, and... We were blessed with the position, so that was three years ago. Mm-hmm. So we've been here three years in a few months now. Just to get it straight about the, the management of this site here, could you just explain how that works? Well, the, the 40 Mile Point Lighthouse Society was created to assist the county in managing the light station and to run it as a museum. So we're actually an ad hoc committee from the county, and we help them defray the costs of keeping it open because most of us are very interested in the lighthouse and all the nautical parts that go with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's how we help the county keep it open. And yeah. uh, So it is owned by the county? Yes, the county owns all, it's a county park. Mm-hmm. It's actually made it into a park, yeah. uh, and they own all the buildings. The Coast Guard still owns the light itself up in the tower, but that's the only part that the Coast right. Guard wants anything to do with. So. Yeah, it's still an activate to navigation. Right, because it's yeah. still a, an active light on the light list. So, Speaking of the light itself, you actually have the last working Fresnel lens on Lake Huron. Is that correct? Yes, the last working fourth order Fresnel lens. I don't know if it's the last lens last period. Lens. Yes. Is it the last lens yes. period, fourth yeah. order or otherwise? So yes. Okay. It's not the original lens that was here, which was a rotating bullseye lens, but this lens that's here now came in in 1919 when they figured out they didn't have to rotate the lens anymore to make it still flash. 
last one that's operational, and we 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 petition the Coast Guard routinely. We don't want the lens taken out. Yeah. Uh, we don't want it put in a case down at the bottom. We protect it. We it's you know heat controlled and whatnot to try to leave it there as the yeah. last remnant of the light. It's a great thing when the uh, Fresnel lenses are saved and put in museums, but I think it's even better if they can remain in their natural environment, their natural habitat, I like yes. to say. Yes, uh, they can, and, and people can see it. They can go up and see the light right. actually, wow, it's yeah. right here. It yeah. works. It's like a living museum yes, in a way. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And that's how we've tried to make the, the light station here as a living museum. We don't want to rope off areas that... Oh, you can just look, but it's like, no, we invite you to come in, look around. Yes, you can touch things. You can just like open the doors and look in, ask questions. What is this? What is, mm -hmm. you know, kitchen utensils or what did they do with this? Or how did they operate the light? And yeah. How did they carry kerosene up the tower? Right. So we're sitting in the kitchen of uh, the keeper's house here, the keeper's duplex and uh, Eric, you and your family live on one side, and the right. museum's on the other side here. And uh, is this uh, interior here, is it restored and furnished to a certain time period? Well, that's a good question. It's, it's early 1910, 1920. It's about era. what I would have said looking yes. at it, yeah. Uh, but it, a lot of it is original. These are like original uh, white ash floors. It's all original, for the most part, original white ash trim, white ash windows. Some of the woodwork has been replaced one piece here, one piece right. there. As uh, When the county took it over from the National Park Service, it was in rough shape. Not as rough as some places, but uh, definitely it, it had good bones to start with. And once you took all the Coast Guard boarding up bo boards off of it, so, took all the paint off. There's amazing wood underneath, so mm -hmm. really nice. Yeah, it uh, looks, looks beautiful. I love it. Any uh, projects uh, happening these days? Any uh, restoration projects coming up? We pretty much have continual restoration projects. Mm -hmm. One being a 120-some-year-old facility, it's in constant need of upkeep and uh, in some cases, major maintenance. So uh, the brickwork requires, is gonna require tuck pointing again, which we've recently uh, started getting some quotes on to get that uh, fixed back up. There are still many things that have been changed over the years. The chimneys were originally brick fluted chimneys. You can see them in the old pictures but when they needed repair, they just repaired them with one modern brick and they just went straight up. Yeah. So we'd like to rehabilitate bring those, bring them back to the fluted chimneys with original brick, which is available. Um, so there's all kinds of that kind of work that we're trying to upgrade and bring back pieces that uh, were lost or somehow you know, changed. I'm just wondering to get back to the history here. Uh, first of all, there were, I assume, uh, were there, there was a principal keeper. Were, was there a first and second assistant? or Just a first assistant. Just a first assistant. A, so you just had the duplex. Correct. The main keeper and then an assistant keeper. Okay. So two keepers. You had a, a fog signal, a steam-operated 
and then probably later That's air, correct. compressed air yep. later, yeah, uh, fog signal. Went to, the, went to the diaphone system after the steam whistles were taken out. So. Uh-huh, okay. So there's plenty of work to do. Either of you can take this question, but I'm wondering if there are any uh, particular personalities among the keepers of the past and or any uh, specific incidents that uh, would be interesting. So we have uh, copies of our original logbooks. Fascinating. We have everything from 1897 to 1943 in the original log. Uh, We don't know if that just ended in 43 or the Coast Guard switched over to their paperwork. But it's full of anecdotes that just neat little tidbits in history. Our uh, original keeper, uh, Xavier Rains, uh, lived here with his mother, and he was an older gentleman. And then you had uh, Lane was our uh, uh, assistant keeper. He liked to hunt, he had kids, had a couple kids born here actually. And there was a few little tidbits, you know, Lane's kids got into the flowers next door. Um, Lane's dog came, you know, the keeper would write this down. Lane's dog would get into the porcupine. And he kind of said it in a little bit of a, the way he wrote it was a little bit like, mm-hmm. Lane got shot a duck today, like, oh. <laughs> yeah. So you could tell there may have been a little friction there. But uh, just all through the years, just little anecdotes that were uh, very interesting. We have some correspondence from uh, the Lighthouse Service to the keepers that is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, nothing hugely fascinating except for the shipwreck, which we'll get to. But uh, yeah. um, it, was, it was a pretty uh, steady life here, I guess. They had interesting things going on, like they had chickens, they had pigs, they had... You know, but they went down to the neighboring farm to get milk. Mm-hmm. So we don't know if they had ever had a cow here. You know, Just different things that are everyday life that were, I, I find fascinating. But And you still have chickens here, I noticed. I've asked quite a few people who've traveled even the world. No one that I've talked to has ever seen chickens at a lighthouse, especially in the United States. But I've asked some people from Britain and that, and they've never seen any in they're the lighthouse people that go to all of them. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm saying right now, as far as I'm aware, we're the only lighthouse in the United States that actually has chickens on the property. I, I could be wrong, but that's where I'm going. I'm racking my brain here thinking about that. And, you know, I think you may be right. I don't know if, if you have any other thoughts we've, on it. but We've never seen any in all of our lighthouse travels. It's... Yeah. The only thing I can think of that might sort of come close is in Key West, Florida, uh, there are chickens running around on the streets that belong to some of the, I think, most Bahamian people there. And there is Key West Lighthouse right there. So there's probably chickens running around on the road near the lighthouse, but they don't live at the lighthouse. So that makes it different. But this is, uh, I love seeing it when we drove up uh, because it does kind of harken back to the days of the families, uh, the, you know, keepers and families of, of old living here. So another aspect of the history around here, obviously, is the tremendous shipping on the Great Lakes and shipwrecks kind of go along with that, unfortunately, in some cases. But uh, I know there's a, uh, a pilot house uh, from a steamship on yes. the site. Would uh, one yes. of you like to tell me about that? It's the steamship Calcite. Mm-hmm. It's the original Calcite because there's a Calcite 2 now that's still operational. But this is the original Calcite. Uh, and it belonged to the 
the quarry here when it was uh, run by U.S. Steel. And so when they, as steamships went, it carried about 7,000 ton. They were producing new uh, diesel-powered freighters that carried up to 70,000 ton. And so this wasn't very economical to run anymore, and they were scrapping it. So uh, the quarry over calcite owners said, well, this would be nice to have the pilot house off the top of this uh, freighter as a kind of memorial. So they, when they scrapped it, they cut the pilot house off the top, shifted back over to the calcite plant and put it up as a uh, museum mm -hmm. uh, right outside the quarry. There's a place called uh, Harborview. So they put it at Harborview for like two years and they maintained it. And then they said, well, that costs money to maintain. We don't want to do that. So they gave it to the city of Roger City who had it out on by the highway at the Chambers building. And they had it for a few years and said, yeah, it keep, takes money to keep it up. And so they gave it to the county and the county brought it out to Lighthouse Park. Mm -hmm. And they actually had it over right on the beach uh, on the bluff overlooking the beach at the time. Uh, and it was in pretty bad shape. And that's kind of when the society came into existence. And so with the help of uh, Moran Ironworks, they came and picked it up and we made a new foundation for it. And they sat it on a, this permanent foundation that's here now. And a lot of local sailors from the area that either sailed on the calcite or any of the various freighters that had to do with the with the calcite they re helped restore it redid the refinished the woodwork inside redid all the uh, iron and steel outside of it uh, so a lot of the machinery inside because it was all stripped out so we've acquired various pieces of equipment inside to refurbish what you could see mm -hmm. the wheel came from one place the binnacle came from a different place, actually came from the big boy out of Alpena. So we, we've uh, refurbished it with real pieces of equipment, but they came from various places. Yeah. Uh, but so people can walk through the pilot house now and see, wow, this is this really works. It's, mm -hmm. You're on a pilot house of a real freighter, Yeah. which is pretty exciting for them. And actually last year, just before the calcite was scrapped, it got one of the very early radar systems to help with its navigation. And so it did have a radar antenna when it originally got here. Uh, we got a working radar off of a tug down in Lake Erie, and it's now operational on the, on the Calcite Pilot House. So cool. you can actually see, it's of course a modern radar, so it doesn't really fit the time, but uh, you can actually see, oh boy, yeah, it's got radar mm -hmm. on it even, so. Excellent. Uh, yeah, we try to keep it uh, keep it open, and it's open during the summer, just like the Lighthouse Museum is another piece mm -hmm. of nautical history. So yeah, we're happy to have it. Yeah, that's no, a great addition to the site here. We were living here when uh, the pilot house was transferred here. Yeah, when it was up on uh, the city owned it. Unfortunately, they had it boarded up uh, by the highway, and a lot of the artifacts that were in it got stolen. So my dad uh, worked at the calcite plant at the time. And he arranged the transport here. The county wanted it where we kind of wanted it in a different spot too, but the county wanted it 
right in the middle of the park, so that's where it got set at first. But it was fun. Uh, my brother and I and uh, two friends of ours got in there, and we we took the boards off the window, started cleaning it up back even back then. It was a mess, yeah. like uh, Pat said. And uh, but the the thieves took off with, like I said, the binnacle and the Chadburn and such. Uh, the wheel itself actually was original. They stripped one of the bolts trying to get it out, and that's what saved it. Otherwise, it would be gone too. But uh, uh, it's definitely an asset. People love seeing it, and uh, the society and the and the sailors did a beautiful job restoring it. So mm-hmm. it's definitely an asset here. Another story I wanted to ask you about that relates to a, a ship is uh, the story of the the wreck of the steamer uh, Joseph S. Fay, nineteen o five. Eric, you wanna take that? So the Fay was built in 1871. She was one of the very early forward end pilot house, your typical steamer of the day. Um, only built uh, two years after the very first one, the Hackett, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. She was heavily modified over her life, but uh, had a few incidents. But during, uh, there was a horrible storm in uh, October uh, 1905. She was coming downbound with a load of iron ore and she had a tow barge with her. And so they were hugging the shore according to the story and wind shifted. So they started out in deeper water. Well, as they got out in deeper water, the tow line pulled. Well, most of the time that tow line will snap and and the barge is loose then. Well, because the Faye was getting up in age, different accounts, but we believe that the uh, Samson Post it runs down to uh, just above the propeller shaft, pulled and opened the seams up underneath and she started flooding. So a lot of people here will ask, well, there's a shipwreck, didn't they see the lighthouse? We think that because they saw the lighthouse, they knew there would be help here and they elected to beach the ship rather than sink in deep water. Mm-hmm. So they actually did get her to ground when she did, uh, those who don't know, wooden ships don't last long in the surf. So within an hour or two, they'll break up, you know, as, as tough as they look. They'll just fall right apart. And she did. Eleven men got were in the pilot house area, probably preparing to get on the boats, which on the Fay, they usually kept just behind the pilot house, you see from the pictures. Mm-hmm. When she went apart, that whole section floated in, and the, according to the reports, 11 men walked ashore off, wow. off of that section. Two jumped in with some boards. They, were, they weren't on that part when it came apart. And the only fatality was the first mate. According to a newspaper article we have, he was found uh, in December, a couple months later, up the beach, and he was pinned in some wreckage. So, and he also supposedly had a lot of money on him, like $600 and some valuables. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people don't realize that these sailors a lot of times would carry everything with them. And first mate, he's going to have some money. So he probably made the fatal flaw of deciding to run down and get his stuff and didn't make it out. So unfortunately, the barge, the DP Rhodes, she ended up near uh, Nine Mile Point by Sheboygan. But the wreckage of the face is still here. There's a huge section on the beach. Um, and then the main hall, uh, bottom of the ship, is all there. Uh, parts of the engine are floating, uh, laying on the bottom. Unfortunately, in 1915, they blew it up. 
<laughs> the engine was probably sticking out of the water. And because it was near where the lighthouse dock was, mm-hmm. the tender would come and they, uh, all I can imagine is with tender captain says, get that thing out of there. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was, it was dynamited. So, but uh, that's our basic shipwreck story. Thanks, sir. I just want to shift gears quite a bit here, but I'm wondering if uh, one of you could tell me what the guest keepers program is. Is that something that's that's happening these days? Yes, we have a very active guest keeper program um, because it's very difficult to keep enough docents without paying them. Uh, we instituted a guest keeper program, so we have a we had. The county built for us a four-spot RV park, complete with sewer, running water, electricity. And so the society uh, runs this guest keeper program and we get keeper or campers basically to come during the uh, summer months. And we ask them to stay between two weeks and a month. And in, in exchange for being able to stay at this little RV park, which is very nice for them. Uh, they work as docents or uh, various things because we, we have many jobs for them uh, as well as maintenance. They could be a docent, they could run the gift shop, they can uh, just talk to people on the grounds. So uh, it's a very active uh, guest keeper program and, and it's basically what allows us to keep the lighthouse open every day but Monday uh, throughout the entire summer. So we, we have, uh, you know, anywhere from six to eight active people working on the site every day. Mm-hmm. So it's really, really helped and made a huge difference for us. Yeah, it sounds like a great program because I know a lot of lighthouses and I think other historical sites are, have been struggling to have enough uh, yes. docents. Yes, we are very lucky that, you know, people will ask us, well, do we get to stay in the lighthouse? No, you don't get to stay in the lighthouse, but the flip side is we don't charge you to stay here either <laughs> right. at this time. But uh, they get to stay in the in the RV park, and you're right on the lake, and it's a, just a beautiful area. Uh, so yeah. they, they really like it. Some people have come back year after year. We have uh, some guest keepers that have been coming for eight, nine, ten years. Mm-hmm. Uh, some will come for three or four years, and then you know they, they've done their stint, and they move on. Yeah. So when visitors come here, uh, are they given guided tours, or how does that work? Well, the, the museum is open to both guided tours and just whatever you want to walk through on your own time. So we have uh, our docents. There's one here in the kitchen usually, and there's one up in the tower, and there's one out in the calcite, and there's one over in the gift shop. So as uh, guests arrive, they get information about the house, and if they're really, really interested, and it's fairly slow, then the docent will just walk around with them and give them, because they keep asking questions, they'll just keep giving them information, as much information as they can tolerate. Yeah. Uh, we have some docents that are very knowledgeable, and basically could, you know, could give them days worth of information. But some people only want to know. Oh, just I just want to look around. I just want to. Walk. Okay, then that's you're good with that too. So yeah, and, uh, and we have somebody up at the tower because the Coast Guard wants us to make sure that if we allow people up in the lamp room, 
they have to have one of our trained docents there that can keep them in line. Don't touch the lens. Keep your hands off. You know, they can give them information about it without uh, creating any kind of damage. So, or possible damage. Yeah. How many stairs in the tower? 52. Mm-hmm. 53? 53. 52 and a half? No, it's 53. Because mm-hmm. the last... The last set of there's there's actually two uh, two yeah, tiers, yeah. There's two tiers. So there's a you go up x number of steps to a landing, x more steps to the watch room, and then the last thirteen steps are almost a ladder more or less to the actual uh, lamp room. So sure, yeah. So uh, we've talked a bit about the tower and the. The house, the the, uh, the way the house is furnished and everything. Is there anything we haven't mentioned that's on the site here that visitors get to see that you think uh, should be mentioned? Well, we do have the fog signal building, which mm-hmm. to us is an important part of the lighthouse. Um, it does not have the equipment, the fog equipment still in it. Someday we hope to be able to renovate that as well and either find some original equipment at other places and bring it back here or have to rebuild uh, some actual fog signal equipment so people could see what it looked like. Uh, we also have a one-room schoolhouse that uh, the county has brought in. It used to be over about four or five miles from here. It was a Glovey schoolhouse. And so we have a, that is usually, we're, we're now opening it more often. It was actually, uh, closed a lot, but we're doing some renovation to allow it to be opened while it's unmanned. Um, so a docent doesn't have to be up there at the schoolhouse as well. Mm-hmm. They can, we can open it up. People can walk in and they just have a big plexiglass wall. They can see everything in the light or in the uh, schoolhouse, but they don't, we don't have to be concerned about them walking away with uh, materials out of the schoolhouse because it's, a little bit removed from the rest of the property, so it's hard mm-hmm. to keep security there. But the site too, um, as far as light stations go, we're pretty close to complete. There's a couple minor buildings that are missing, but we hit, like uh, Pat said, we have our fog signal, we have our original oil house, uh, we have our two 1911 outhouses. Um, you have, and the one outhouse, says in the logs they moved it. I don't know how they did it as a brick outhouse. Um, but it's got the original roof on it, so they might have. But uh, um, we have that. Um, we have what's half of our original boathouse. They actually moved up in the 30s and made into a garage. The other half was made into another garage, but that rotted away back in the day. So we have quite a bit of our original infrastructure here. And the society's working on little things. We uh, rebuilt a tram car. Uh, we might lay a little bit more track to show how that really operated. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're adding little th- little details back. But overall, it's a pretty complete station. So I was looking uh, on your Facebook page. Yes. And I saw something about a craft fair that's coming up on Memorial Day weekend. So. Yes, we've, uh, for the last, uh, I don't know, 10 years, Probably we've been our opening in Memorial Weekend 
Uh, we've incorporated a, a arts and crafts show with it to kind of, it's the first one of the season and gets people out to the lighthouse. And so it's uh, a nice little opening for us. We open the day before on a Friday and then the arts and crafts show is on a Saturday and Sunday and it's on the grounds here down by the pavilion. And we usually bring in a food vendor and uh, we have quite a, quite a turnout. So uh-huh. it's, uh, in fact, We've petitioned the county several times to increase the parking because uh, several times a year when we do these events, parking becomes a big issue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like there's people parked everywhere. And, they, and then the police don't like it when you're parked all the way out to the highway and they start parking on the highway. But uh, So the Arts and Crafts does uh, draw quite a, quite a good crowd and uh, it helps us open everything up and yeah. draws a lot of people into the lighthouse. Mm-hmm. Are there any other special events you have in a typical season? Um, we've had several different types of events. Occasionally we've done uh, a kind of a concert thing where we've provided live music and had uh, people come out uh, from town, which is very well visited as well. Uh, we also do, we've had uh, reenactments. So we've done some uh, late 1800 early 1900 reenactments where we have a lot of people that are do those kind of things come out they set up their own tents and they dig fire pits and uh, you know they're cooking a roast or somebody's flint uh, napping flints and uh, they just all kinds of stuff we have a blacksmith that comes out occasionally and does that and so we've done those kind of things as well as uh, we have a uh, we, what we call the night at the light because typically we're only open till four in the afternoon. Well, at least once a year, we're open at night and we light the grounds. We have a, a lot of kerosene lanterns and we put kerosene lanterns out all around the grounds. And then uh, we have uh, people that, a lot of musicians in the area that come out and they play music in the pavilion and uh, the, we decorate the lighthouse in various themes, sometimes a fall kind of theme, sometimes a Christmas theme, and we have cider, hot cider, and different things, so mm-hmm. people get to come out and experience the lighthouse after dark. And it's, it's pretty well pretty well attended as well, and uh, people yeah. really like that, so. Yeah, I, I wanna come for that. Yeah. It's always special being at a light station at night. Yes. Yeah, so, so, and one of the nice things with that is the lights on and yeah. people see it. <laughs> right. So we light up the outside of the lighthouse as well. With uh, we have a lot, bunch of like spotlights. Mm-hmm. So it it provides people just love to take pictures of it because the lighthouse is lit up and then the light comes on and yeah, it's uh, pretty neat. It sounds really cool. Yeah. Night at the light is a lot of fun. Um, unfortunately, with COVID, it's been a couple of years since we've had it. But uh, the first year we actually lived here, again, uh, at night at the light, we opened our side, which was the first time mm. it's ever been open for public consumption. And uh, my, my daughter works at a shop that makes historic clothing. So my wife and her were dressed in their Victorian clothes. And we actually had real kerosene lamps in the house because we use them from time to time, and none of the main the electric lights on. So when you walked in, it was really 1800s, early 1900s. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
course, I was up in the tower in my keeper's uniform, but um, that's my more my domain. So, but it's a really neat thing if you can get to it. I think I saw a picture of you and your family online in, in period garb, you know, in your uniform, and them in the, the clothes you're talking about. It looked great. So one thing we haven't mentioned, uh, mentioning everything that's here for people, is the gift shop. you want to say anything about that? Yes. The gift shop is our main fundraiser. It's the way we can keep the lighthouse open. We like to say it's the way we keep the light lit. Uh, obviously, the Coast Guard does keep the light lit, but uh, we keep the building going, and that is done through the gift shop, a pretty big percentage, which allows us to continue doing uh, restoration work and upkeep without it all of that would fall back on the county uh, which is all taxpayer dollars so anything that we can defray from that mm -hmm. uh, and I think we have one of the nicer gift shops at different uh, lighthouses we've been to a lot of lighthouses and uh, we have some real dedicated people that run the gift shop and uh, they do a great job out there yeah that's great it's always a very important part of an operation like this so I have one final question for both of you, okay? One, you can fight amongst yourselves as to who's going to answer first, but this is for bonus points, okay? So the question is, what is your favorite, your personal favorite thing about your association with 40 Mile Point Lighthouse? Where do you begin? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have a little different take than most people because most people, it's just, you know, they get into this because love of a lighthouse or... It's something to do nearby, and it's kind of interesting. Um, my first take of it is because I grew up here. So um, to me, it's been a homecoming, and uh, I love history. I just I thrive on history. So it's kind of all good things wrapped up into a nice little bundle, and I get really a cool existence. Uh, my wife and kids get to share it. I enjoy helping out with the society. They've done a ton of wonderful projects here so you know like i uh, was mentioned before uh the condition of the house uh, when my folks were the caretakers there was limited funds because it was county run and and such the society uh, basically totally restored both sides of the house so um, i appreciate that so i get to get to enjoy their hard work and so i try to give back uh, my share of that so I enjoy doing that, um, the maintenance stuff. I'm a painter by trade, so um, I enjoy doing the painting projects wherever possible, especially when the paint stays on. <laughs> it's harsh weather here, so it's sometimes a little hard. But Yeah, and I, I'd say my favorite thing about the lighthouse is actually dealing with guests when they come in here, and you get a lot of people that, they like the lighthouse. It's neat. They, you know, maybe never seen one before or whatever. But you get a lot of people that, when they come in, it's like their face just lights up, mm -hmm. and that is the greatest enjoyment for me. Is the people that really, really enjoy it. They just, they're just so excited about it. Is it's great to be able to be here to allow that to happen that they can still see that. That's why I like the lighthouse the best. Well, those are those are great reasons, and uh, I see the sun is coming out. So before uh, my friend Nick Horstead here and I uh, leave, we need to to get outside a little bit. I need to take a few pictures. So 
Um, I want to thank you so much, uh, Eric Klein and Pat Williams, for joining me today. You have a, an excellent organization here and a beautiful light station, well-kept and uh, very complete, as you were saying, Eric. And uh, it's a real pleasure to visit here. And uh, thank you for, for hosting me here to do this. Thank and you so thank much. Thank you for coming out. We love uh, talking to anybody. Then The more we can get it out to the public, the have them come visit. Like I said, this is for those who are listening, the public, come see us. I'm shamelessly trying to make the best station in the United States. <laughs> Long way to go, but uh, there's some beautiful stations, but we're trying our hardest to, to be very friendly. Um, I think uh, we do that very well. And then on top of it, just make it a beautiful, fun experience for everybody. To learn more, go online to 40milepointlighthouse.org. The website includes information about the Guest Keepers program, where docents get to live in the campground near the light station. I want to thank Eric Klein and Pat Williams again for the interview, as well as the entire Klein family for their hospitality when I visited 40 Mile Point with my friend Nick Korstad. It was a great visit to a very beautiful light station. Many thanks, as always, to all the staff, members, and volunteers of the U.S. Lighthouse Society at Point No Point in Washington and around the world. Go to uslhs.org to learn about the Society's tours, the passport program, preservation grants, and all the other things the Society offers. Remember that donations and memberships help support this podcast. Please share a word of this podcast on social media. And if you listen through a platform that allows you to post reviews, please rate and review us. And I thought I'd mention something. A couple of months ago, I interviewed Tatiana Manzuk from Kiev, Ukraine, who is a Lighthouse fan and works for an organization called House of Europe. I wanted to let our listeners know that Tatiana is safe with her family and her boyfriend in Germany. They had to flee their home, but at least they're safe. We need to continue to keep the people of Ukraine in our hearts and to do what we can to help them. The Greek philosopher Plato once wrote, quote, We can easily forgive a child who is afraid of the dark. The real tragedy of life is when men are afraid of the light, unquote. On next week's episode of Lighthearted, we'll be talking with Sherry and Willie Faust, owners of Stony Point Lighthouse in Henderson, New York. To all our regular listeners and to our new ones, thanks so much for listening and... Keep a good light. Out in the dark, I'm gonna let it shine. Out in the dark, I'm gonna let it shine. Out in the dark, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine.
Let it shine, let it shine.